This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray. Lord, we, as we just sung, we were reminded that the life of discipleship, the Christian life, is really about a relationship with you. And we can complicate that in all kinds of ways sometimes, but ultimately, it just comes back to that. It comes back to a relationship with you through your son, and the rest, of, the rest of life flows from that. Everything else flows from, from that relationship with, with you. And so, Lord, we, we pray now that as we, we look at a text that just shows us that in, in a beautiful way, just what it means to, to follow you as, as a disciple and to, to know you in that, that kind of, of a love relationship and how every, the rest of life really flows from that. Lord, we pray now that your spirit would speak to us through your word. Lord, you, there are so many needs that are represented here this morning, but Lord, you, you know every single one of them, every single one. You love each person. And, and Lord, you, you are able to 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 minister to us words of life through your spirit that we need today. And so Lord help us just to be to open up ourselves right now um, and to and to be locked in on what you would desire to speak to each one of us through your word by the power of your spirit. And we ask it in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. So in the 1991 uh, film, City Slickers, Billy Crystal plays the role of Mitch Robbins, a 39-year-old New Yorker who is searching for meaning in life. And so Mitch's friends uh, gift him with a a two-week trip to take part in a cattle drive between uh, Colorado and New Mexico. And so Mitch, this New Yorker, makes this journey. And so one day he's on a horse and he's, he finds himself beside an, an old grizzled cowboy named Curly. So they get into this deep conversation about the meaning of, of life. And Curly, this old cowboy, looks at Mitch and he says, you know, you, you guys are all the same. I mean, you city slickers, you know, you spend 50 weeks a year getting your rope tied up in knots, and then you come out here for two weeks and you think they're all gonna be untied. None of you get it. And then they, uh, Curly stops, brings his, ho- his horse to a stop, and he looks at Mitch, and he says, do you know what the secret of life is? And Mitch says, no, what? And Curly holds up his index finger. Mitch says, your finger? Curly says, one thing, 
just one thing. Mitch says, well, well, that's great, but what's the one thing? And Curly says, that's what you've got to figure out. (laughs) Well, fortunately, Jesus does not leave us to figure that out on our own. He tells us. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to talk about one thing. Luke 10 and verses 38 through 42. This is a short little story that that only occurs in the gospel of Luke's, not found in the other three gospels, but what an incredible message for our day and our time that we see here. One thing, Luke chapter 10, and let's just look at verses 38 through 42. Follow along in your copy of God's word. It says, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she, she, uh, she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. So what do we see here in this powerful little story? First of all, we see something about a focused life, a focused life. Life. Let's, let's look at verse 38. It says, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So Martha lived in the little village of Bethany. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. And she lived there with her two siblings, her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus, who does not crop up in this particular story, but in John 11, we see that Jesus raises Lazarus from the, the dead. So they are three siblings. Their parents are never mentioned, which means that they were probably dead. And so um, these are three, three, three siblings, a, a brother, two sisters, and they were incredibly close to Jesus. And we know that because whenever Jesus is ministering in in Jerusalem, a lot of times he will stay at their house. And so he is very, very tight with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. All three of them were probably very young adults. Martha, judging by the language here in verse 38, was probably um, the oldest of the three. We can kind of see that in the way that Luke uh, pictures this, that that Martha welcomed him into her home. Probably the oldest of the three siblings. And the phrase here, welcomed him into her home, means that Jesus was the guest of honor. Now bear that in mind as we keep walking through this. Look at verse 39. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Now, we need to see a couple of things that are going on here in verse 39. First of all, the phrase, he sat at, his, at the Lord's feet, sat at his feet. 
the, the meaning here is not you know, that Mary was kind of gazing up at Jesus as sort of a, you know, celebrity, you know, rock star. It, it's not, it's the, the phrase sat at his feet has a particular meaning. It means that she was learning from him as a disciple. It means to be educated under, to learn under. Luke uses this phrase again. We see it in, in Acts 22 and verse 3 where the apostle Paul is giving his testimony and he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in, that, in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a famous rabbi. So Paul here does not mean that he sat, you know, just kind of gazing up at Gamaliel. Uh, no, he, he meant I learned under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a teacher, a rabbi, and I studied under him. I learned under him as his disciple. And, and so Mary here is, is learning under Jesus as a disciple. And the posture of sitting at his feet implies you know, submissiveness, right? Submissiveness to his teaching. It says here that she sat at the Lord's feet, if Jesus is Lord, it means that we are, we are under him, that we are, we are placing our lives under his authority, under, we're submitting ourselves to him as our Lord. That's what it means to be a disciple. We are, we are learners. We are learning from Christ. We are following Christ. We are under the lordship of Christ. We are meant to do life looking up to him. So, in essence, discipleship to Jesus is a radically simplified life. Discipleship is simply about following Jesus. It, it takes very complex, complicated things and, and boils it down really to one thing, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus as your Lord. Put yourself under him, learn from him, follow him. I was visiting a hospital recently, and it was a hospital that was under renovation, and there were a bunch of additions taking place to the, the building, and the person that I was visiting was in a part of the hospital that would have been difficult to find, even had that stuff not been going on, but, but with all of that construction going on, it was in a very, very difficult place to find, and so the nurse who came to, to get me, to take me back, she, she knew that. And she was just so great because she didn't, she didn't look at me and say, hey, you know, walk through the door, you know, go down to the fourth hallway, uh, make a left, you know, go, go, to, go, through, go down a winding hallway, go through the double doors, um, then take the second hallway on the left and then go down and take the third room on the right. <laughs> She just said two words, follow me, follow me. That's all I had to do. She took me straight to the room. I didn't have to concern myself with anything else. Just one thing, following her. What does Jesus tell people time and time again in the gospels when he encounters them? Follow me, follow me. You don't have to concern yourself with anything else. 
Jesus says, just follow me as a disciple. Now there's something else going on here in verse 39 that we need to to see too. And that is that Mary as a woman is doing something here that women typically did not do in that culture. Typically in first century culture, it w- in that world, it would not be a woman sitting there learning and being educated as a disciple. That was something that was typically for, for men only in that culture. And to this day, you know, in ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities, it's the men that go off and study the Torah and the women just kind of, you know, do more uh, domestic, domestic things. It was definitely that way in the first century. And so for Mary to be sitting there and learning and being educated as a, as a, as a disciple under Jesus, this was not something that was uh, typical in that culture. In fact, even the architecture of houses uh, would have certain rooms that were for kind of men only (laughs) to men only spaces. And then they would have spaces, spaces that were for women and sort of taking care of the kids and more domestic things. Mary's probably in a room that typically was only frequented by men. In September, I was on the Arabian Peninsula, and so I was visiting with some of our IMB workers there, and they're working with Bedouin people, and they were sharing with me that it's like that today. And Bedouin tents, or in some of them have houses too, but in either case, there will be a front room, and that's where the men go to discuss things and, you know, and uh, community matters and uh, matters involving religious law and th- things like that. And so, and men only in that room, in that space. And so she is in a, a space here and doing something that was not typical for women to do in that culture of the first century. But see, this is another theme that we see throughout Luke is, that, is the, the role, the special dignity that women are, are, are given and the role that they are playing in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, turn back just a couple of chapters to the beginning of chapter 8. The beginning of chapter 8, because Luke here just sort of pauses and he tells about the special role that, that women were playing in the ministry of Jesus. Now, this, this occurs right after Jesus, the, the, the story that we, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago where, where Jesus is ministering to this, this woman. She comes and anoints his feet and, and so forth. Uh, a prostitute whose, li- his, whose life had been uh, restored and beautifully transformed by Jesus, and then Luke says, the beginning of chapter 8, afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Susanna, and many, other, many others who were supporting 
them from their possessions. And so Luke just kind of pauses here and he tells us explicitly what we see throughout his whole gospel, which is that there were so many women who's many of whom came from very marginal backgrounds, sad, sad backgrounds, pitiful situations, and, and their lives had just been transformed by the love of Christ. And so they were following him as disciples. They were learning as disciples. They were playing vital roles in the, in the ministry of, of Jesus. And so, look, what we, what we see in Luke over and over and over again is that people who are on the outside are being brought inside by the love of Christ. Women, Samaritans, Gentiles, people, lepers, untouchables, these people who are marginalized, who are on the outside, are being brought inside through the love of Jesus. It's like, it's like the, the love of Christ in Luke is like this river. Think about a, think about a river that it has parched land on both sides, but that river is beginning to overflow and it's going out into these areas that have been, that have been thirsty and just parched and dry. But now that river of God's spirit and God's love is just reaching these people on the outside that had been unreached. And I think about women. I, some years ago, I was a part of an outreach and, and some of you were a part of something like this from our church this past summer. But we were ministering to, to North African people, Muslim people, um, at a, a, a port in Southern Europe. And so we, we were distributing Bibles and, and just different kinds of Christian literature and things like that. And so um, people would drive up in cars and it would always be the man that would be behind the wheel. And in that culture, just women kind of very much in the background. It's, you, all the talking is done with the, the man typically. And I'll never forget coming up to, to a car and beginning to engage you know, with this husband. And we were offering, offering, uh, offering you know, the, the New Testament and things. And he was sort of ambiguous about whether to, to take it. And I happened to look over in the passenger seat and there was his wife sitting there. And you know, usually that culture, very quiet. Woman doesn't speak. But that woman just went. <laughs> she was hungry. She was hungry. Um, and see, and that was the case here. You know, there were so many people uh, that just, they were, they were hungry for, for the new life that God could, could give. And the Spirit of God is bringing these people that were on the outside and bringing them in and doing beautiful things, new work in the lives of people, just flowing like that, that river. The second thing that we see here is a distracted life, a distracted life. Let's look at verse 40. But Martha 
was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Now listen, the, this is often misinterpreted. The point here is not that Martha was doing anything wrong in what she was doing. She was not. And that, what, her tasks were important too. It should, that work needed to be done. So the point is not that she's doing anything wrong. The problem is what is happening in her internally. What's happening in her on the inside. It says she was distracted. And the word here means to be pulled away. She's being pulled away from peace. You know, she's agitated. But the point here is not, you know, that it's more, it's, more, it's superior to study than to serve, you know, or to have a contemplative life versus an active life. As disciples of Jesus, that's not an either or, that's a both and. We are saved to serve. And Jesus lifts up service. And we see in chapter 22 and verses 26 and 27, Jesus says, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, I don't have time. I don't, I don't have time to serve. I don't have time, time to serve in the, in the church. I want to ask, how much, how much time do you have for your hobby? How much time do you have for social media? How much time do you have for streaming? How much time do you have for sports? And on and on. As disciples, we have to be very judicious about how we use the master's time. And it is his time, not ours. Just like it's his money and not ours. So we're saved to serve, but as disciples, we also need time at his feet. Just time at his feet. With open Bibles, open hearts, no, nothing else going on at that point, but just communion with him. Digging into God's word, unhindered times of prayer. Another theme that occurs again and again in Luke's gospel is that Jesus will break from intensely busy times of ministry and he'll just go away by himself and pray. And if Jesus needed that, <laughs> that means that you and, you and me need that as his followers. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we can do otherwise. Do you think that you can get more done if you spend less time with Jesus? I can't tell you how many times in life that I have been pulling my hair out about something and tossing and turning at night and just trying, wrestling and struggling, you know, with some issue. And then I do what I should have done on the front end and just get away and bring whatever it is before the Lord in prayer. 
and, and, and the Lord just speaks and boom, there's clarity. There's clarity. All God wanted me to do was just get away and just put that before him. And he speaks. And what was, what was fuzzy becomes clear. You've got an answer. I can't tell you how many times that I've been struggling with an issue. And, you know, it's so healthy for believers to have a, a track to run on when reading the Bible. I just strongly encourage you to have a structure for your Bible reading. Because a lot of times, if we don't have a track to run on, we just don't, we don't run at all. And so I, I really encourage you to have a plan that's taking you through the, the, the Bible, cycling you through scripture again and again. But I can't tell you how many times in my life that the Bible reading for that day, it's just like, part of my reading just like le leaps out at me and it's, it's like the very thing that I'm dealing with, that I needed help with, that I needed a word from God on, that I needed direction about, and it's there. And, and you know, so listen, these so many things flow from that, that time just sitting at the feet of Christ. The Christian life is a supernatural life. It's a relationship with the Lord. It's not something where we're trying to manage life on our own. We don't have to do that anymore. We just follow Jesus. Just walk with him. And notice, notice the irony here in Martha's words in verse 40. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister, she's not only peeved at her sister, she's peeved with Jesus. New Testament scholar Joel Green in his commentary on Luke says, though she refers to Jesus as Lord, she is concerned to engage his assistance in her plans not to learn from him his. Wow. Notice all of the me language here. In verse 40, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to give me a hand. I like what Tim Keller says in his book, uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Keller says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. And Martha says, tell her to give me a hand, as if she's doing nothing. The third thing that we see here is wisdom for life. Wisdom for life in verses 41 and 42. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. So the double use of Martha's name here in verse 41, this is a very, very tender thing. She might be upset with Jesus, but Jesus is not upset with her. This is a very tender, gentle form of address. You know, What he says to her, he says with gentleness, tenderness, love. And he says to her in verse 41, he says, you are worried and upset. 
And this itself is a problem. When we begin to get this way, it's a red flag that something has gone awry, that there's something that needs to be given to the Lord. This is not, when we begin to get this way, agitated, you know, worried, upset, this is not of God. And we know that because, you know, Jesus says, like in chapter 12, in verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that some of you struggle with some mental illness and maybe some physical reasons for anxiety. I, I, I understand. I see you. But, but for most of us, anxiety is, is, is caused by the fact that we are not doing what 1 Peter 5, 7 commands us to do, which is what? We're to be casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Going back here to, uh, to verse 41, notice here the contrast between the, the many things and the one thing. You were worried and upset about many things but one thing is, is necessary. What was the whole point of welcoming Jesus to their home? Remember in verse 38, we saw that phrase, she, Martha welcomed him into her home. That means that he was the guest of honor. But Daryl Bach says this, in her focus on the many things, she is forgetting the most important person. So listen, whether we are, you know, having our quiet time or whether we are active in, a, in the midst of a busy day, as disciples, we are to be doing as Hebrews 12, 2 commands us to do, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Notice also here the, the word uh, necessary. Jesus says to her in verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Most of the things that we spend our time and our, our, our emotional energy on are not necessary. We can so often in our culture become like the seed that fell among thorns and the parable that Jesus told in chapter eight in verse 14. Jesus says, as for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. I love what that great 19th century saint, J.C. Ryle, says about this. Ryle says, Martha's mistake should be a constant warning to all Christians. If we wish to grow in grace, we must beware of the cares of this world. Unless we watch and pray, those cares will eat up our spirituality and bring leanness to our souls. 
It is not open sin or flagrant breaches of God's commandments alone which lead people to eternal ruin. More often, it is excessive attention to things which in themselves are lawful. But they have become distractions. The Danish philosopher uh, Søren Kierkegaard uh, told a story one time about a a man who, who took a carriage ride on a beautiful starlit night, but he couldn't see the stars. Kierkegaard said, when the prosperous man on a dark but starlit night drives comfortably in his carriage and has the lantern's lighted eye, then he is safe. He fears no difficulty. He carries his light with him, and it is not dark close around him. But precisely because he has his lanterns lighted and has a strong light close to him, precisely for this reason, he cannot see the stars. For his, light, for his lights obscure the stars, which the poor peasant, driving without lights, can see gloriously in the dark but starry night. I mean, many of us have had the experience of being, you know, out west or maybe in a desert someplace where you're far away from any city and you look up in the nighttime sky and it is brilliant but it doesn't look that way when you're in the middle of a town or a city right because all of the other lights are obscuring the stars so what are the lesser lights in our lives that are hindering us from seeing the beauty and brilliance of Christ. Notice this last phrase that, that Jesus says to, to Martha in verse 42. He says, Mary has made the right choice. And you could translate that as the, the, the good portion or the, the right part. It really means the right meal. Mary, Mary has chosen the, the right meal because the meal that she has chosen is always going to satisfy. He says it, can, it will not be taken away from her. She, it's the right meal because it cannot be lost. Unlike other meals that we may eat and then we're hungry again after a few hours. Now, this is a meal that will satisfy continually satisfy. It's the meal that Jesus talks about in John 6, 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He's the right meal. Let's pray together. Jesus says, come to me, believe in me. I alone can, can satisfy the deepest needs of your life, of your soul. Just come to me, you don't need money, you, don't, can't, you can't earn your way, just come to me and trust in me. I love you. I died for you. 
I bore your sins on the cross. I rose from the dead so that you can be forgiven and so that you can have new life. Just come to me. Trust me. Put your life in my hands. He invites you to do that very thing right now. Right now. Christians, as his people, it's so easy to, you know, in sports, we can drop an easy catch or a pass or whatever because, our, because we lose focus. We don't keep our eye on the ball. It's so easy to take our eye off the ball spiritually. And maybe, maybe it's a distraction in your life that you need, to, you need to put aside so that you can see Christ more clearly. You know, maybe you need more time at his feet. Maybe you need to just fix your eyes more on him when you're busy. But we need to refocus on Jesus in all of life because discipleship boils down to one thing. Look to him. Follow him. Put yourself under his lordship and let him lead the way. You don't have to concern yourself with anything else. Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow him. And so, Lord, we pray for the grace to do that very thing, Lord. We pray that, that our eyes, whether, whether, we're, whether we're reading our Bibles or whether we're engaged in the, in the busyness of, 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 a, of a day and actively, actively working, Lord, we don't want to be working without worshiping. We don't want to be serving without seeking you. Lord, so whatever we're doing, Lord, may we, we have Jesus in view and understand that this ultimately is about a relationship with Christ and that everything else in life flows from that. And as we just bow in the presence of the Lord, in just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing that beautiful song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it goes so beautifully with this text. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you need to publicly say, I'm, I'm committing my life to the Lord. I've decided to follow Jesus. Jesus tells us to make it public. We want to invite you as others stand to, to come. We, lo- we will be here at the front to pray with you. Maybe you're here as a believer just in need of prayer. Maybe you want to come pray with one of our pastors or pray at the altar. It's open for you to, to do that. Sometimes it helps to physically mark a moment, a moment of recommitment, a moment of refocus upon the Lord. And so we would invite you to come. And so, Lord, we pray that you would have your way now in our lives as we look to you, as we follow you. Lord, give us the grace to turn our eyes upon you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. 
Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 